Hi, I'm Paul Havershoud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. A few weeks ago, the comedian Roy Wood Jr. kind of stunned the comedy world by saying he's taken his hat out of the ring to be the new host of The Daily Show. I mean, everyone thought it was going to be Roy. So he's here today to talk about his decision to pull out and why he thinks late night TV might be doomed unless it changes and quickly. He'll also tell some stories from the road and why he thinks that comedy is the best way to get some nuance into a divided world. Roy Wood Jr., coming up. Plus, Nova Scotia's own Classified a few years ago thought he might retire, but he kept being plagued by questions about the world around him. He's back with a new single where he poses some of those same questions that have kept him rapping and not stopping. He'll be here to talk about that song. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. So yeah, let's start out with a clip. Roy Wood Jr. became really well known as a correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. His bits like this one started to go viral. White supremacists need to learn that by wreaking havoc, they're only going to hurt their own cause. See, black people, we learned that a long time ago. We learned that lesson with OJ. OJ went free. Black people went crazy. So white people locked his ass up again. That's why when OJ got out this time and got paroled, black people was chill. They was like, OJ out. We was like, I'm sorry, who? So before The Daily Show, Roy worked as a touring comic, but not like an L.A. or New York touring comic. He's from the South. He's from Alabama. So he he played the South. I mean, he tells me in this conversation about doing gigs as a black comic in places where he just got a standing ovation, but he was told, maybe don't leave your hotel after the gig. Roy is on tour right now. He's headlining gigs across Canada on the Just for Last comedy tour. He's playing St. John's to Victoria, an actual cross-country tour, not like these Vancouver to Toronto cross-country tours. So a few things you should know before we get into this interview. Uh, For one, the host of The Daily Show, Trevor Noah, left the show a few months ago and everyone thought Roy was going to become the host. He took his name out of contention and he left the show. So we, we get into that. Two is we recorded this interview right when the news was breaking around the carbon tax in Canada and the heating oil exemption for Atlantic Canada. I gotta be honest, not something that typically comes up on cue, but here we are. Here's my conversation with Roy Wood Jr. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. I have been in this country about a day and a half now, uh-huh. and I'm just watching House of Commons and really starting to catch the flow of how politics moves here. And? And apparently Trudeau is on Tinder. And that's going to be a big deal. (laughs) He's looking for dates. Apparently he's single again and no one's scared about that. And then also there's a lot of arguing over pain. Apparently it's so cold in Canada that you have to like get a discount on your heat (laughs) (laughs) or state mandated insulation. All I know is that I watched the House of Commons argue about heating costs 
for like an hour and a half, and it was good television. But like with the level of emotion that we have in the states for like gun control, but it's just y'all just talking about the cold. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about we're talking about natural gas discounts. Yeah, it's freezing. My heat has to always be on. I shouldn't have to pay for this. It's it's been interesting to see. So I'm excited Isn't it to learn nice? more. Isn't it nice that those are those are the problems? Yeah, it really is. I mean, leaving the Daily Show gave me some some more mental bandwidth. I didn't realize how much American politics was just like swallowing up all of the bandwidth that I had to like learn about the world and yeah. explore other stuff. So it's it's cool. It's it's cool. I'm looking forward to kind of you know getting into these types of discussions on stage over I, the course of the month i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about the, the daily show at some point but I, I i was looking into you before we did this interview and i i didn't know that you started out in in journalism yeah so how do you like how do you make the journey from journalism to comedy it was always a duality it was never one then the other i started stand-up when i was 19 still in college working on my broadcast degree and so then while I was still working on my degree, I got an internship uh, at a local radio station in Tallahassee, and I did morning news for that station before. I was the morning news guy from 6 to 8 a.m. every day. I was the guy. WVHT News Time is 640. I'm Roy Wood Jr. Tallahassee Mayor Scott Maddox has reported. Da, da, ba, 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 da, da, ba, da, da. Got it. Three stories, a sports story, a kicker. And that was the beginning of my foray into like news and media and things like that. And was the stand-up you were doing when you were nineteen, when you were in college, was that newsy, topical? Like, what kind of stand-up was nah, it? It was. It was all about me. It's it's interesting in that my stand-up, I talked about me because the idea that you know. Also, I'm nineteen, but I look fifteen. Oh, you were you were you were one of those kids. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. was lanky and yeah. just slim. So when you're 19 in the South, you're performing usually for people over the age of 28 to the usual age of 30. Yeah. So they just don't take you seriously. So I can't talk about the world because it, you, you're not going to believe anything that I – you just assume I haven't seen anything. So I just have to present my world funny. So I did jokes about student loans and book buyback. And, you know, I, it, what I figured out over time, though, was – no matter who we are, demographically speaking, I think there's like four topics that you can, and there might be others, but the four that I leaned on that were like, I believe that we always have a connection on is food, sports, jobs, or love. And so the idea, and love can be a number of things, but it's breakups, it's sex, it's just the, the desire for intimacy. Little cousin Derek got married this girl Tasha in Baton Rouge. I just went to the wedding. I don't understand. I, I, I understand marriage, but it's the forever part that I... <laughs> like, why does it have to be forever? Why can't it just be till the kids get out of college and just high five, we did it, good job. Why does it have to be forever? So, in those days, only Atlanta... If we're talking south of Nashville... Yeah. Atlanta, Georgia, and... Tampa Bay, Tampa, Florida. Those mm. were the only two cities that had a weekly open mic. Every other city was monthly. So you have to drive around. But what but what happened with that, and I guess it's kind of a blessing down the road, is that 
you meet and you learn every single demographic and every single type of person that lives in America. And then based on those four connectors, you start learning what people value and what they do and don't value. But I got to imagine the tour in the South. I mean, listen, I mean, I, I've, I've toured the South playing music, but I got to imagine like tour, touring the South as a young black comic must have its own challenges. Yeah, it depends on the city. But it's also a nice way to get to know, like like you said, to like be able to reach a bunch of different people. Yeah, but what you start realizing is that all these people that we stereotype and that we hate, you know, a lot of them are just single-issue voters. Yeah. They're not all stark, raven racists. Yeah. They're just, they care about themselves, so they're going to vote for the candidate they feel cares about them. There are people who I know for sure wouldn't give a damn about anything that I believe in. But they will show up to the show and laugh every time and come buy me a drink after the show. And, you know, I don't always know what to do with that. Even now, I don't know what to do with it. But at that time, you just start learning. Like, like people say it, and it's so cliche, but it's true. We have more in common than we do apart. Yeah. You know, not you, I can't remember the phrase. You know. but, but it sounds like you're, 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 you were able to get up on stage, even in that stage of your life, and, and look out at these audiences in, in, in I want not say rural South, but in non- yeah, Some of it rural. Rural South, and, and look out and go, okay, well, I, can, I have to learn how to connect with these people. It feels advantageous as you go out through your career, I suppose, as someone who's just stuck in Vermont their entire lives. Get, get these laughs in Paducah, Kentucky. Yeah. And then tomorrow, your reward is Clarksville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you do well there, mm-hmm. we'll book you in Johnson City, Tennessee, which is a documented sundown town. It right. is a documented place where if you were black, stay in the hotel. And I've had people tell me as such as they're shaking my hand and buying my merch on the way out the door. Is that your story? Yes. People will come up. Hey, man, I hope you have a good time, Johnsonville, Johnson City. You know, just don't go up to Bristol. You know, don't, you know, just, just you're better off in a hotel, man, but you're, but you're funny. Like they're telling me the secrets to survival in their town. I'm going to let you in on something because you're funny. I'm going to tell you something. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's danger out there. And comedian Doug Stanhope said this, and it's always stuck with me. As a comedian, you're only as famous as you are in physical relation to the club that night. <laughs> Hold on. You you are only as famous as you are in physical relation to the club the that night. The further you move away from the comedy club after your show, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. the less famous right, you right, become. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you're, you're so famous in that room, and you're pretty famous yeah. in the bar, and you're re- pretty famous outside having a smoke. But did you go up the street and get pulled over? No one cares that you had a standing O at the Holiday Inn in Johnson City. Especially in Johnson City. Ding, ding, ding. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. So when you get The Daily Show, when you're uh, 2015, you're hired as a correspondent on The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. How... Does does that background help you in that all of a sudden you're doing a big mass market mainstream TV show? Yeah, it's it's kind of wild when you look back at your career and go, oh, that was preparing me for that and that and that and that. The first 15 years of my stand-up gave me a solid understanding of just the middle of the country. Like that's essentially, if we're talking voting and drama and where a lot of the BS goes down, Yeah, it's in that area. So... Yeah, when I got The Daily Show, I definitely felt prepared. We turn to our own financial expert and part-time moneylender, Roy Wood Jr., everybody. Roy, Roy, not 
Not only do Mnuchin's numbers not add up, mm -hmm. but polls say that this Republican tax bill is super unpopular. Unpopular? Nah, bruh. Ebola is unpopular. <laughs> Dating people your own age in Alabama is unpopular. <laughs> this tax bill is trash. Say it with me, Trevor. Trash. Trash. Um, I think what changed in my comedy, though, was that The Daily Show pushed me into a window of wanting to only talk about the world, but from a different, but from differing angles. The like, Daily, help me understand that better. So Trevor Noah's approach to, to the show, where if you look at Jon Stewart's ideology and you go back and you look at most of Jon Stewart's bits and the things that are famous and the things that went the most, you know, whatever. Yeah. Jon Stewart comes in with a sledgehammer and knocks the issue in the mouth. It goes, this is the problem. Shame on you for not fixing it. You better fix it. And there's punchlines in between all of that. The clips used to be titled when they got viral on YouTube was like Jon Stewart eviscerates yeah, Mitch McConnell. Slams. Yeah, Jon Stewart dunks on. dunks on slams. That was okay. I understand what you mean. You don't see any of that verbiage for Trevor Noah. Right. Trevor's approach was there could be an A and B side to the issue, but let's look at it from over here and let me give you a different perspective to help better educate both sides. And you can still decide which way you lean. But I'm going to come in and use humor to show you different prisms through which to look at these issues that you thought were one-sided, but they're really more complicated than that. This, this sounds, and I'm not being silly, this sounds tougher. This sounds a lot more complicated. This sounds like a harder avenue to get comedy than coming in and saying that sucks. I would say so, but I think it's more rewarding because you, if you do it right, you're getting both people because you're getting the people that are going, that's what I've been trying to tell you. And then you get people going, wow, I didn't know that. And I just learned something. Right. And if the joke lands both ways, to me, that's the perfect joke. So that's where, like, if you look at my stand-up comedy hours versus my Conan sets, mm -hmm. and you can, like, literally go and look at it on YouTube and compare and contrast. I don't really fool with the four connectors within my stand-up, within my hour sets. Because now I know what I want to do. I'm going to assume, because we're all gathered here to watch an hour of my material, that we are already together and you already understand where I'm coming from. So no, I'm going to rip this apart. And like in my first special, the first joke is if we get rid of the Confederate flag, then how am I going to know who the dangerous white people are? Right. I'm just saying the flag had a couple upsides. So let's just be real about it. I ain't saying keep it around, but I grew up in the South. I can't tell you how many times the Confederate flag came in handy. Stopping for gas at a strange place at two in the morning, you see that flag hanging from the window, you know this is not the place to get gas. And you keep it moving. That's not arguing for or against the flag. It's mm -hmm. just, I'm just, hey, I'm just here to present a third side to the argument mm -hmm. that there's some good things about the flag. <laughs> yeah, it's not all bad. <laughs> there are some good things. And it's like, that's the thing where... That's the joke that I enjoy trying to write and trying to tell the one that we can talk about the issue. Like we can talk about white nationalists, right? We can talk about protest and, and neo-Nazis and hate groups sure. and all of that. And yeah. okay, we can argue why they show up to protest all of their, the different things they don't believe, CRT and book bannings and whatever. Yeah. But then I'll also sit and wonder, it's 95 degrees. Why are you wearing army fatigues? 
why right. is, why right. was that the protest outfit? Yeah. Let's for, let's just stop for a second. Forget why you're protesting. Yeah. Explain to me why in 95 degrees that is what you why are you dressed for battle in Fallujah and then say what you want about the clan, but at least their robe it's flowing, it's breathable. <laughs> That's so why, the, that's what, why the clan. That's why the clan hat is so tall. Is so the heat <laughs> can stop dissipate. Stop. <laughs> so, if I can make the audience agree that the clan is smart, to me that is more fun on stage than just going yes or no. Should they or not protesting? Yeah. Let's get it. Like I can get into that a little bit, but I want to start somewhere a little more bizarro. But by starting there, does that let you get somewhere? Yes. Yes. Where does that let you get? So now if I want to get into a deeper issue, like, you know, recently, like I've been talking about, you know, the, when we talk about mass shootings in this country, you know, like if we're talking about a third prism through which to look at something and we talk about mass shootings and mental health and the things that, and how those two things are related. Okay, fine. But I also think that we're more disconnected from one another because of technology. Okay. And when you look at the way technology has created a disassociation within the retail experience, at least in the States, I can't speak for anywhere else, but like we buy things on Amazon by looking at a picture and pressing a button. You used to talk to a sales rep. Yeah. Okay. That person used to be a friend. Yeah. That person, even if it was a fake friendship, just the idea of a cashier talking to you yep. about your groceries yeah. might have made you just felt a little bit seen and maybe you didn't murder today. <laughs> like Maybe today because Jim and electronics was helpful in talking to you about coaxial cables and HDMI cables. So you felt, see, so this idea of feeling invisible, it technology plays a role in that, which also inherently plays a role in the mental health. And so at its core, it's just me ranting about how technology is ruining customer service and I hate self-checkout, but I believe those things are not an anomaly as they relate to bigger conversations about mental health and gun control. Which is the third prism, which is the third way of talking. Correct. Right. Instead of just going, we need gun control. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. But also what has not been discussed is, hey, here's the way I think these other things that we just blow off as innocuous are actually contributing to the feelings of loneliness that we know contribute to all of the heinous things that we denounce. So by not uh, by not by making a joke that is not in a time where we, we are being told that there are kind of two sides to every issue. There's an issue and you are you are to pick one side or the other. Correct. And if you're on that one side, you are to hate the other side and the other side is to hate you and you are to do everything you can on Twitter and on Instagram and on everything you're supposed to do to I'm to, right to, you're yeah, wrong. Yeah, I'm right you're wrong. By Giving a third perspective on it, you are not only able to find another place for comedy, you're not only able to point out like the absurdities on, on both sides, but you are also maybe able to get a, your a perspective and a potential solution in there, which is a dangerous thing to say to a comedian, a potential solution in there in Correct. a more honest and accepted way. Correct. And I think what has made the job of comedy more difficult now is that um, – Mike Birbiglia said this. Great, great comedian, kind of a storytelling comedian. Birbiglia said 
the punchline only works if everyone agrees on the premise. So if your premise is Biden's done a good job, but dot, dot, dot. If you don't believe Biden's done a good job. The joke doesn't matter. The joke, uh, I'm not matter. going to pay attention to the punchline. Doesn't matter. But if you can come up with a third making fun of Biden that everyone agrees with. Correct. Joke will work. And then you can backtrack into whatever criticism uh, you yeah. wanted to make about Biden. Okay. You know, the boldest thing about Biden is that he got the black vote while also having a pet German shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> How did he get black people over 60 to vote for him? Yeah. With a do you know what that dog has done to the black race? And he let one go for Biden, then got another one, and then had to get rid of that one for Biden. And at no point have Republicans <laughs> used that against him. That's how much everybody loves dogs. <laughs> now. Now we can get into policy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all on the same page. We're all laughing at the same stuff. And it's the weird observational thing. He, this is a president who has a crazed dog running around the White House. Like, it's it's the one joke I wish I'd have done at the Correspondence Dinner. That yeah. I just, and my head writer, Christiana Mbakwe, <laughs> we were talking about it, and she just said, Roy, I don't know if you want to get into dogs. There's so many white people there. I just don't know if you want to. <laughs> you don't know why the dog bit. The dog could have been scared. You're just you're labeling a whole race of dogs vicious <laughs> just because of the actions of what. And like, and it weirdly, but it was weirdly the joke that we dropped because we're like, what, when you get into I'm right, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. If you think I'm right or you're wrong, then that becomes the conversation the next day and not the joke. Yeah. Which is the reason why we didn't go after Nikki Haley yeah. at the correspondence dinner. We didn't go after Diane Feinstein either. Like that was like the only woman we went after was Kamala because she was in a position of power where there would be enough to justify going after her. And it was a good joke. I remember that joke. And if a VP's job is really just waiting to step in to save the country in case of emergency, then the job of vice president is a perfect job for a black woman. Shouldn't be, but it is. And whatever you do accomplish, whatever you do accomplish, all they're going to do is just give a man credit for it. Anything you do, oh, the immigration stuff, you done knocked out, you done got all this banking, and you got the internet down there, you done taken care of all this postpartum stuff, they just going to give a man credit for what you've done. By the way, Mr. President, great job at being the first woman vice president <laughs> of color. I don't even know how you did that part. Yeah, Kamala was fair. I mean, like, the Nikki Haley joke, I don't remember it, but the basic premise was... That, saying she's a minority, a woman of color. Like, I can't remember. How, but we were going to touch on her on her ancestry a little bit. But if you don't nail that joke, the headline the next day is man picks on woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comedian at the White House. Liberal, liberal, liberal comedian picks on Republican. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, exactly. I watched every correspondence dinner to prepare for my correspondence dinner just to see. And the more I watched, the more I realized it's such a distinctly different experience every year because the country's in a different place. Yeah. No one can really give you any advice beyond just do the jokes and trust that if you've run them in the comedy club over and over, it's like you, you do these jokes in a place where everyone laughs to perform them in a room where at best, best case scenario, half the room likes it. 
The other half can't laugh because either they're politically, yeah. not politically inclined, or they're sitting at the table with their boss. Or there's a C-SPAN camera on them as soon as you make the joke, and they can't laugh. Correct. They, you know, uh, um, Sean Hannity can't be seen on TV laughing at Enjoying. a joke about Fox News. You can't. No. So you sit there stone-faced the entire time, and then at the after party, they all come up to you. Hey, man, that was a great job. Is that and true, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Wow. A lot of right-wingers. A yeah. lot of right-wingers. Came up to you afterwards, oh, and we're yeah. like, that was pretty good. That was yeah, all right. All right. Yeah, that's all right. But you know, but you know I couldn't You know, I couldn't do anything. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it's this idea of figuring out for my comedy how can I enter a joke from a different place? And now that's the priority. I'm not couching it in the four corners of safety and the four, you know, connectors anymore. I'm yeah. just, I want to go right away. Let's go. Let's dive in. I think that's when I started at The Daily Show. That's when my stand-up really elevated. That was Roy Wood Jr., the comedian and actor. Roy is touring Canada on the Just for Laughs comedy tour right now. I spoke to him in our studio uh, right before the tour began. A few months ago, Roy quit The Daily Show. People thought he might end up hosting The Daily Show, and he took his name out of consideration. So coming up on the show, we talk a little bit about why exactly he did that, why he thinks late-night TV might be doomed unless it changes fast, and we argue about who has the correct Thanksgiving America or Canada. That's after this on Q. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from. That's Decodering, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by the New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with Roy Wood Jr., the comedian. Uh, he's one of the most well-known correspondents on Trevor Noah's era of the host of The Daily Show. Roy got really well-known from The Daily Show. And if you didn't hear about this, a few months ago, the host of the show, Trevor Noah, quit the gig. And everyone seemed to think that Roy was his logical successor. But just a few weeks ago, after eight years as correspondent, Roy quit The Daily Show. And I wanted to ask him about that. And that led us to a pretty deep discussion about comedy, particularly late-night comedy, and its future. So why would you take yourself out of consideration for one of the biggest jobs in comedy? What is the actual future of late-night TV when we can watch whatever we want, whenever we want? And how did the Canadian media theorist Marshall McLuhan kind of predict what's going on in late-night TV right now? Here's the rest of my conversation with Roy Wood Jr. I want to ask you why I left The Daily Show. Ask me whatever the hell you want. Why did you leave me. The Daily Show? I left The Daily Show because deep down I don't know what they want to do as a host for a host because you were everyone thought it was going to be you can i say that everyone yeah, thought it was going to be you yeah my name was in the hat or at least i felt it was and you know i don't know what they're planning over there but i do know in the meantime if they're gonna they gotta have a host by january because i will caucuses are in two weeks and we're, in, we're off to the races for the election so you gotta have a host by then you can't have guest hosts for them correct if i'm comedy central i'm hoping that this is resolved by thanksgiving 
you know, top of December, you know, whatever. American Thanksgiving. Okay, yeah, we, American. We, we had, we had know, listen, we had Canadian okay, Thanksgiving. Settle down right. with your boxers <laughs> day here. Oh, these other nice holidays you have up here. <laughs> So I'm American. American Thanksgiving is the only <laughs> it Thanksgiving. Only, that's, that's all it took. All this both sides and love was, no was cast away <laughs> as soon as I said, oh, listen, you got you to take everything from three. You know, you got to be able to there accept everybody. There are many everybody's. Thanksgivings <laughs> and we must appreciate yeah. and all. As, and as soon as I said Canadian Thanksgiving, you were like, absolutely not. There's only one American Thanksgiving. Okay, and okay. So they don't, the vibe was this. We come back from the strike and- you're wondering, okay, well, if they're going to do guest hosts again, that's fine, but I already guest hosted. So if I do that again, it's stressful. The job of guest hosting and being a correspondent, it's not easy because you have to take it. It's, it's not coal miner or firefighter or you know hero job, but in the sense of the amount of mental real estate that that job takes up on a daily basis leaves you incapable of accessing the creative quadrants of your mind to come up with whatever's next for you. Mm-hmm. And that's going to take some time. Like mm-hmm. we're talking months, a mm-hmm. couple months to really sit and look at what do I want to do? What is the industry going to bear? Which way are things going? And I don't want to look up in January and not have a plan B. And also, on the other side of every labor stoppage in Hollywood, there's a resettling of which creatives become the new norm. Mm-hmm. 07 strike yielded a plethora of reality shows. The word on the street now is that on the other side of the writers and actors strike is that there's going to be significant cuts in the number of scripted television programs that are made. A lot of these streamers that we know and love are all going to merge and fold into one another. So, And the glory days of everybody getting a special, everybody getting a TV show on Netflix. It's one season. skinny. We're back to 1998. Yeah. You get a special now, it's a gift. Yeah. Or you already had a pre-existing audience that you earned and built. You're Bill Burr. A, you, have, you have an audience. Correct. That you're you Burr have. or yeah. you're Matt Reif. Yeah. Yeah. You're, big you, on TikTok and you, and you start blowing up. Earned and, it. Exactly. Yeah. Matt, Matt Reif's success was not given to It's yep. like it, comedy used to be. We like you. Join us and we'll help you find your audience. And now stand-up comedy is, oh, you have an audience. Yeah. Will you join us? But isn't that another reason to leave leave late night? I'm of two minds about it. Like, I'm constantly told that we're, we're um, it's over. We're fragmenting our audiences. Kids are watching TikTok. I'm looking at, like, there's kids out there. Like, I don't know if they're staying up to it. Ask those kids if they have a favorite news anchor. I bet you they don't. Do you have a favorite news anchor? You can wave your eyes. Yeah, you can do this. Exactly. Shoulder no. shrug. No, no, no. So no. how am I to parody the news if they don't even watch the regular news, I should say it's take your kids to work day, and where that's why we're the, that's yeah. why there's it's not child labor at the yeah, CBC. Sure. That's why that's why there's that's why there's kids get in back the, on that board, child. <laughs> that's why there's kids in the, that's why there's kids there. But so on one side of things, I'm told, okay, everyone, you know, things are fragmented. TikTok, it's all over. The days of everyone tuning in to watch Johnny Carson are over. The days of everyone tuning in to watch Johnny Carson and the freaks tuning in to watch David Letterman yeah. is over. But also. Late night hosts are still making tens of millions of dollars, and they're still and big gigantic celebrities like Nicole Kidman are showing up on these shows. Like they ha- they're not canceling the Daily Show, Roy. They're not canceling the Tonight Show. Like wh- wh- where does this stand right now? How much lower can the ratings go before that has to be a real conversation? I don't know. Let's just be real. If we're going to be real about numbers, yeah. and let's yeah. be real about cumulative numbers across the board, all networks. I'm not just I'm not dumping on Daily Show. You have to figure out other ways to engage. I think that the way late night survives 
is that late night has to become multi-quadrant. So you cannot just be linear. You can't you can, be the TV show at 1130. You can't just be that. Yeah. And if you're going to have accounts in other places, those accounts have to parody the way that media is consumed on that particular platform. Well, it's, it's, it's Marshall McLuhan. It's the medium is the message. Correct. The, the medium itself Im, Im, impacts the message. You can't, he, McLuhan argued that you couldn't take the, you couldn't have someone on TV reading the newspaper to you. It demands a different type of communication. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Canadian, by the way. I think, oh, there you go. We'll, we'll double check that. <laughs> in, in my algorithm, he's, a, he's an American. Yeah, and where I'm from, yeah. Marshall McLuhan is from North Listen, Dakota. The Facebook group that I'm in made it perfectly clear. I don't know where you get your facts, but my facts are the real facts. Like, that's what it's, it's getting into that now. I know we don't have the time now, but when you look at everything that's happening, you know, with Israel and Palestine and the way that the media is covering it, the media itself used to be the source. We are the so the most trusted news. You can trust us. We are the ones delivering the news first. And now it's like, yeah, there was an explosion. According to the people over there who was hosting an explosion, those are the people who told us there was an explosion. But we just tell you what we heard. It's just right now for that particular thing. But I could see that being the new way in which news is even put out. So if we're talking political satire now, and our idea is to parody the news. Does everybody agree on the premise? If we're talking media trust and if we're talking about the idea of those facts being the facts from which we will then glean punchlines, some people don't even believe in those particular facts. So that's part of the hurdle as well for late night in a political satire sphere, if we're talking late night as a whole, you know, the Fallons and the Kimmels of the world, I just think that there is still a place for conversations to be had about things that are happening in pop culture, but they have to happen faster and they have to be modular. They have to be creatively modular to fit multiple flat platforms concurrently. You almost are essentially the host of four different shows. Yeah versus taking one show and stripping it for parts and disseminating it everywhere, which 10 years ago worked perfectly fine. So what are you going to do? That's what I'm trying to figure out. In the interim, I want to do, you know, sell some scripted shows, write some stuff. I want to act. But the idea of figuring out what is the new way that information looks and how to get that to people in a fact. The other issue is faster all the people that are the freaks who would come on Letterman, they have camera phones now. Yeah. So they're already on their channels doing the things that used to be super voyeuristic for us to watch as a layman. So if the freaks have the cameras, then maybe you're a place that aggregates all the freaks together into one place. Or you're the place that gets delivers the information first. But that requires that requires a total change in the approach to late night and making it faster. Okay, so that's the how. What's the why? I read this quote from you when I was coming in here. You were, you were talking to Terry Gross. I call myself a worse Terry Gross or uh. Terry Grosser. Um, <laughs> you, said, <laughs> you said, I'm a black man giving commentary to people about the state of the black condition, which is exactly what my father did, only with no punchlines. I feel like I'm surrounded by comedians doing political comedy who tell me over and over again, 
I'm not trying to change anyone. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just making jokes. John Stewart used to say, I'm on after a bunch of puppets making prank phone calls. Yeah. I'm not asking you to defend anybody or comment on that. What I want you to close off to is, does this, does comedy actually have a power that you're describing there? I think comedy has the power to activate people. But I think if you create comedy with the intention to activate people, then it feels more like impassioned public speaking. You have to be careful about that. You have to stay connected and married to the joke. The joke remains the priority. It's part of the reason why The Daily Show doesn't touch a lot of stuff. Like The toughest thing to deal with during that time at The Daily Show was dealing with DMs from people who would go, why don't you talk about this thing? Well, you talked about it, but you didn't talk about it in depth enough to do that. I don't have punchlines for that because that part is horrible. And there are parts of the world that are horrible. And until there's space to make it funny, it doesn't serve what this platform is able to do right now because it wasn't built for all of those things. This is a message you should send to Vice News because that is how they approach the horrible. So I think that there's places that do things better and there's things that we do better, you know? So, yeah, I think, I don't, I don't think that, I think comedy matters, but I don't think you can create it with the intention of, Ooh, this is the joke that's going to fix the election. <laughs> Cause then you're just up there just being righteous and that's not funny. Um, this has been a wild chat, man. I really enjoy it. I appreciate to you. you. Yeah, I really do appreciate Thank talking you. to you as well. Thank you for coming in. I love getting into comedy. <laughs> Journalism, perceptions of the South, Marshall McLuhan style media commentary. Um, thanks for coming in, Roy Wood Jr., the comedian, white nationalist. White if you're nationalism. Listening, if you're listening, we're we're clan robes. <laughs> it's hot out. As Roy Wood Jr., the comedian and former Daily Show correspondent, I spent a lot of time thinking about what he talked about there. That there might be a third way through jokes to access some incredibly divisive and polarizing topics. Roy is headlining this year's Just for Laughs comedy tour. It just finished up its East Coast dates. It continues tonight in Ottawa before hitting the rest of Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and B.C. over the next couple of weeks. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Do you ever feel like there are some musicians who have careers that make you feel like they've always just been there? Like Rain or Shine, you can expect to hear music from them. It's going to be excellent music, and it's always kind of been that way. Classified, we feel, here on Q is one of those artists. He's put out 18 studio albums. He's won a ton of Junos. And it's always really exciting when there's a new Classified record coming out. But given that thing I said about consistency, and it feels like he's always been there— we were a bit surprised when we found out that he was thinking about retiring. Well, I'll give you a spoiler. He's, he's not retiring, but I had to ask him what's happening. So he joined me on the line from Nova Scotia to set up a song from his upcoming yet-to-be-announced record. Take a listen to this. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, good to be here, man. How are you? I'm not too bad. How's everything going? Are you home right now? Are you in Halifax? Yeah, I'm out in Enfield, in Nova Scotia, on the East Coast, yeah. I think I thought, you're right, you're not from Halifax, right? No, I've lived there for a few years, but now born and raised in Enfield, which is right by the airport, moved into Halifax when I was like 19 and then moved back out here when I was like 27, 28. 
I'm becoming a real Torontonian that I call it all Halifax now, by the way. That's yeah, you're, yeah. Geez, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm starting, I'm starting to turn into one of those. Um, cool, cool. Congratulations on the new song. We're going to play it in just a minute, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about it. First off, like when I, when I saw you, around the time I saw you announce the song, I saw you put up a Facebook post that said that you were thinking about retiring from music or you had tried to retire from music a few times. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I hate the word retire, but yeah, no, it, it was definitely a couple of years ago. Not something I'm thinking now. I think I've kind of realized my, my place now, but you know, back in like 2016 when I was kind of, you know, getting older, the kids were getting older and I kind of felt like, you know, what else am I going to rap about? I'm 40 years old now. And, you know, I kind of did what I needed to do financially. I invested my money and felt pretty secure and kind of felt like, okay, this will probably be the last album. And, after sitting home, like any person who tries to retire, they usually go get a part-time job or, you know, take up their hobby, what they love doing. And I just realized what I love doing is still making music. So anytime my kids were gone to school or my wife was busy, I'd find myself in the studio making a beat and soon I'd be working on a song and then shooting a video and back on the road. So I think it's just kind of grown to more of a hobby position is where I'm at now. It does sound like on this song, um, Given what you're just telling me, that you did land on wanting to rap and uh, about more important things or, or, or deeper things or, or or about life, am I onto something there? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like things that I really think about. Like I didn't go into a studio and go, "Okay, this beat's cool. Let me just rap about rap." And it was, you know, living my life, being out at my kids' sports games, and things popping in my head, just observations, things I started wondering about, and I'd write these things down and. Yeah, I find when I write now, I try to write about more real life stuff, things that I'm going through, you know, at a more mature age, things that I'm observing. Yeah, more more that angle. Tell me a little bit about this song then. Like, what were you going through and what were you observing? Wonder was, this was the last song I made for this project. So I only finished the song about a month ago. I remember I was trying to wrap it up and get it in time to have it up on Spotify and Apple and all that. But I, I just realized the last five or six months I, I just kept waking up early like waking up in bed at like 4 4 30 and I'm, I'm asleep I like to sleep in and just awake my mind racing just you know wondering about this wondering about that and you know almost like an anxiety feel I don't think I've ever had anxiety until the last year or two I, I find like I wake up and dwell on things and I just started writing these things down like geez what about this what about that and, and that's kind of what this song came from when I started working on it. I, I knew I wanted to have these different, you know, just I'm talking about this for one sec. Like if you listen to the song, four bars, I'm on this. And then the next four bars, I'm on that. But it's all just these things that, you know, when my mind's racing, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about, you know, the baby we lost, um, that my my wife lost. And, you know, just things that happened over life and wondering why this happened, wondering why that happened. And, and that's what this song became what it became did, did it did it give you answers to those questions you were asking about yourself no but i don't think i was really looking for answers i just wanted to put it out there because i feel like other people are probably wondering a lot of the same things you know i think that's how i always do music it's not like i put it out there and go i hope this is going to give me an answer but it's just things that i'm curious about and i'm like i think people probably think a lot of these same things that i'm going through or or I want to put it out there and let people know that I'm thinking about these things and going through it. Like, like, give me an example of something you were you were thinking about while you were making the song. Uh, well, even like the Pat Stayline, who's a, a friend of mine, a battle rapper from Nova Scotia, who passed away about a year ago. But you know, we were sitting out here in the studio one day, and there was a battle. I was like, man, I I haven't watched battle rap since Pat passed away. 
And it was just, I wrote that line down. I wonder why I haven't watched battle rap since Pat passed, put that down, you know? And eventually when I sat down and wrote, I extended on what, what that meant. Um, another thing I wondered if my great uncle was gay, like an older man grew up, you know, 1920 and, you know, our whole family, he was a pretty flamboyant guy. And we always thought, you know, maybe he'd come out and he'd feel more comfortable. But in those days, you know, a lot of people didn't come out because it wasn't comfortable. And, you know, it was one of those things. I was like, did, did he die kind of hiding a secret that maybe he would have felt really relieved to put out there? And, you know, it doesn't matter if he was or not. But these are just little things that I'm thinking about, you know, wondering if I did this career thing right. You know, wondering... uh what are some of the other things in there? I wonder why I punish my kids now by sending them outside when we used to send them to our room. <laughs> you know, just little one-liners that were like, you know, they don't have to necessarily connect to each other. There wasn't this big overall message with the yeah. song. It was just like my mind's racing from one thing to another, and I just want to put it out there. Well, what, what do you hope people who are about to hear the song for the first time might, might, might start thinking about when it comes to their own lives? I think just the curiosity of life and not realizing, like, we don't all have answers. Yeah. It's not like you figure out life and go, Oh, got it. I'm doing this right. Or I'm doing it wrong. I think, you know, in my opinion, until the day we die, we're, we're always questioning what's the point of life. Did I do this right? Did I treat these people right? Did I, you know, just those questions. And I think putting that song together, even the messages I got back from people, just hearing their thoughts and how they would take a certain line, like the amount of people that hit me up that said they went through a miscarriage from that line that I put in the song and was like, Oh my gosh, I heard that line. And I just teared right up about something that happened to me five, 10 years ago. I went through that same thing and I never heard somebody put that in a song like that. So, it, you know, little things like that, that just give that relatability with other people. Well, it's a, it's a really powerful song. I'm glad, I'm glad you came on the show to talk a little bit about it. We're going to play it right now. Would you mind setting it up? Can you do like, Hey, Hey, this is, and this is my new song wonder. Hey, what's up? This is Classified, and this is my brand new song, Wonder, featuring Ian James, right here on CBCQ. underground but still ain't got no gravesite i guess it's what success is supposed to taste like huh i wonder i wonder if i did this right and i wonder just how many spliffs i twisted in my life i wonder if this liquor's gonna have me twisted here tonight have us up until the morning wonder why we missed the flight i wonder i wonder why i don't watch battle rap ever since pat passed except his benefit shout out to organic for that and everybody else who did planning for that y'all took my breath away like a panic attack wonder if the baby that we lost in my wife's belly was supposed to be my son I wonder if it happened for a reason, it happened for a reason My God I still believe in, but I'm questioning these demons I'm wondering From his upcoming new album that is classified featuring Ian James And a song called Wonder on Q all right, that's it for the show today. Tomorrow on the show, um, DJ Shadow. DJ Shadow, here's what I knew about DJ Shadow before this conversation, before I started doing research. Important electronic artist, important DJ, like influential on, on the band Radiohead, and used a lot of samples. Through our conversation, I've come to the conclusion that DJ Shadow is one of the most important artists of the past 30 years. 
And I think when you hear our conversation, even if you've never heard of him, you'll understand why. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.